You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. I'd like to read that to us and then pray. Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So if you would bow your heads in prayer with me. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, we trust that your word is powerful, living, and active. Um, we confess and believe that uh, we need your word to give us life, to rebuke us where there is sin, and to encourage us towards walking in holiness, um, to bind up brokenness inside of our hearts, Give strength where we are just super weak. Um, God, we need your word for all those things and more. And we need your spirit this morning, Father, to come and illuminate this text for us, to open the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our understandings, open our ears so that we might hear you, see you. So God, we pray that you would release your spirit to be in our midst. We pray most of all that you would come and unleash the furious love of Christ through the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. So we've been in the book of Ephesians for a little bit over a year. Uh, for those of you that are visiting with us or new with us, uh, we like to study through God's Word book by book, uh, verse by verse. And uh, this is our second time in this passage over the last few weeks as well. The last time we were in this passage, we focused on verses 22 through 24. If you were with us, you might remember. <coughs> and we honed in on the principles of biblical headship and biblical submission in marriage, two topics that are Tough to preach on, tough to discuss, tough to hear. Headship and submission are two very serious themes within the biblical teaching regarding marriage, right? And as I said in part one, uh, these two themes, I I think, and I think you you would agree with me, have been used and abused both inside the church and outside the church for use. Um, And this abuse of those two themes, I, I believe, has left entire generations uh, of people reeling under the effects of the sinful applications of this text. And so, so my aim today, um, similar to the last time we were here, my aim is to try to expose our hearts to what God has to say in regards to marriage, in a way that would be faithful uh, and loving and helpful to us as the bride of Christ, right? There's so many analogies here. <coughs> well, the tension for me in uh, preaching this text is really fourfold. Number one, I want to handle the Word of God faithfully. Um, I want to handle it rightly. 
And number two, uh, I am also acutely aware of my own failures, my own weaknesses in my own marriage. Uh, number three, I, I really want to see transformation in our church family too, um, and in God's people. Uh, and number four, I want to see the gospel adorned. Um, I want to see the gospel adorned. <coughs> the gospel needs clothing um, in our community. And this is one of the most powerful ways that the gospel gets clothing. Uh, the gospel is seen through marriages. The reality for all of us is that this is a really tall order. That's, that's the tension for me. This is a tall order to preach this passage because those four things I just mentioned create massive amounts of tension for me as I begin to preach this text, right? Uh, God's Word is precious. It's powerful. It's true on the one end. And then on the other end, I am just a human, just a human being. Um, I'm sinfully impure. That's the reality as I enter into this pulpit and this text, yet I am still called to preach the truth of God's Word into all the brokenness and all of the weakness and all the sinfulness that all of us humans seem to find ourselves tangled up in. Um, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And yet, at the same time, our minds can only be transformed through the Spirit empowered preaching of the gospel into our hearts. Um, and furthermore, I would say that the message of the gospel, as it is applied to practical categories like the marriage relationship, like friendship, like vocational relationships, as the gospel is applied to those relationships in Scripture, as Paul does with the Ephesians, we see the gospel being powerful enough to save. Because it is the gospel alone that saves because the point of the gospel is a man named Jesus who hung on a cross, he was perfect, and he came and died for our sinfulness. And into all of this, um, the gospel comes to us in this passage, preaches to us, speaks to us. It's powerful to save the lost, the broken, sinful, the weak. And in that category of lost, broken, sinful, weak, what I feel like um, and maybe more than normal even this morning because of sickness, um, as I, I feel like the chief among them. I remember the day that my marriage fell apart. That's uh, part of the reason that as I enter into this text and this sermon, uh, I feel a peculiar sense of weakness. I remember that day. Um, marriage for Christy and I in the early days uh, was rough. It was really rough. Um, um, if you think of like an expensive statue, I could have an expensive statue in my hand of a married couple. Um, you can think of marriage like that expensive statue. Beautiful, right? <coughs> Shiny, delicate, dreamy, uh, maybe fragile at first. Um, but for me, as I think about that statue, I never forget the day that it all came crashing down. The day when that statue hit the floor, crashed and burned into pieces. Never forget the pain and the suffering that honestly my sin caused for us. Uh, for many around us, too. I, mean, I imagine that maybe some of you <coughs> can remember days like that, whether it was your marriage or another relationship, that maybe you've experienced days when it all fell apart for you. Now, some of you know Christy and I's story really well. Um, some of you um, have maybe never heard it. Um, and in summary, when, when Christy and I first married, uh, we were at the ages of 18 and 19. We were really young. When we entered into marriage without the slightest understanding of what God calls husbands and wives to walk like. We had no clue. Um, we were young, and we were both in love. Uh, both of us were coming out of homes that were really less than ideal. 
when it comes to marriage. Christy's mom and dad were married, but oftentimes they were distant from each other, and that was kind of the model that she had growing up. Uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was really young. My dad left when I was five, and then from that point on, uh, my mom had just various different dudes in and out of her bed, um, just a steady stream of guys. And so both of us um, really had deep parental wounds that had never been addressed appropriately. Uh, and we also had sinful desires that were way out of control for both of us. Um, both of us were looking for love in all the wrong places, kind of like that old country western song, if you know that song. Uh, I would sing it for you, but you don't want me to. This was an absolute recipe for disaster, really, right? Absolute recipe for disaster for us in those earlier days. See, when you mix up a crock pot full of pain and sin and failed expectations, uh, what you get is a kind of soup that's more like cyanide for the soul rather than chicken soup for the soul. Um, and it was a, it was a wreck. Um, it was a mess for us. Now listen, like regardless of whether you have faced the pain of divorce or not, marriage is still hard. It's just it's difficult. If you go into marriage thinking that it's going to be easy, uh, you're deceived and naive, and you will learn quickly that it can be really tough, beautiful, fragile, dreamy, delicate at the same time, but still hard nonetheless. Um, I think what God does in marriage is he uses two people to kind of rub on each other and sanctify one another so that we become more like him. That's really the purpose of marriage, I think, one of the main purposes. So when two people get together and enter into the marriage relationship, the reality is the deck is already stacked against them, right? Like divorce stats prove that for us. Um, Sinful desires, failed expectations, the constant moving of the needle back and forth on what marriage really is or really is not in our culture. And this has created a culture of dysfunction in our world that is really hard for us to navigate. Um, Those thoughts, by way of introduction, is what brings me back to the text in front of us. Because into this crock pot of overflowing cyanide, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Apostle Paul stands ready at the gate. I want you to envision for a moment, and I say this a lot of times to people who are in premarital counsel, I want you to envision a vast field um, full of... Um, potholes and caverns and dangerous places and in front of that field stands a gate and at that gate oftentimes pastors and shepherds stand at that gate to help people walk through and in our text today I believe the Apostle Paul stands at that gate of that field for you and for I he's a gatekeeper of a minefield with a road map that's the way I see the Apostle Paul here the gatekeeper of a minefield with a road map to help us navigate the journey ahead. And really, his simple overarching instruction, if you can think of the overarching instruction that Paul has given to us in the text that I just read, is it's focused almost exclusively on the husband. And his exclusive instruction to husbands is to what? Love your wives. Love your wives. The question for all of us is, what does that look like? Uh, Because the world around us is going to tell you that love looks like one thing. And a lot of people will have opinions about what love looks like, but the Bible is authoritative, and that's why we go there. What does it mean to love your wife? As we think about that question, I do want to add a caveat underneath of that so we don't get lost. I want to say that because this text is almost exclusively focused on Paul's instructions to husbands to love their wives, uh, there may be a temptation for a single guy in this room or for a single woman in this uh, room to just check out. I'm not married. Why do I need to hear this? Um, I've got a thousand other things going on in my life, and marriage is not the issue, right, for a single guy or a single gal. Um, 
And there all might also be a temptation, uh, married ladies, because um, I'm not going to preach a whole lot necessarily straight to you today, so I want to say this on the front end for married ladies. It could be a temptation for you to listen to this sermon with a really critical ear, you know, so that you can kind of like nudge your husband in the side or get after him after you leave, like build your little checklist of ways that he has failed to live up to this text. And I just want to encourage you, like, be really careful with that, ladies. Um, there may be a temptation for some of you married guys. If you're a married guy, you're in the room. Um, or even guys, if you're seeking marriage, uh, you might hear this sermon and hear it as a checklist of things that you think you do pretty well, which prepares you for marriage or makes you qualified to be married. And you might just use it as a checklist, like puff up your chest, hey, I'm good. Like, I get a passing grade more than a losing grade, so I'm good to go. Or you could hear it the other way, right? It could be more like a negative checklist for you. Crap, I just, I biff it in all these areas and you walk out of here with a bunch of shame and guilt. Can I just remind us that Jesus died on a cross to take your shame and your guilt? That shame and that guilt that you might feel over your failures really is an invitation for you to come into relationship with him and embrace the mystery of his love for you. I hope that you remember that I say that. Because that's really the point of this, is to embrace the mystery of Christ's love for us. So single folks, uh, you need to wrestle with this text. And this is not just my opinion. I think God's word is applicable and important for all of us. So single folks, you need to wrestle with this text so that on one hand, you can either prepare for marriage or uh, you can prepare to come alongside your married friends. I see no reason that a single person cannot counsel a married couple in the gospel because the gospel is still the same either way. It's just applied. And you don't have to have experience to apply it to something. Um, I could go off on that for a long time. I don't think I need to. Um, so for single folks, there's two reasons why you need to hear this sermon and wrestle with it. Uh, married folks, you need to wrestle with this text for a couple of different reasons too. Pause. Thank you. <coughs> married folks, you've got to wrestle with this text uh, so that you can encourage and challenge each other uh, to strive for God-honoring marriage. So back to the question, what kind of love does Paul call husbands to in this text? I'm going to try to quickly outline three different categories of love that I see the Apostle Paul talking about. Number one, husbands, you're called to love your wives sacrificially. Okay, You're called to love your wives sacrificially. In verse 25, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the picture that we have here. Um, in this passage, the Apostle Paul has given us is of sacrificial love. It's not, it's not the picture of a man loving his wife out of his own personal need for legitimacy or out of some misguided desire for security. Okay? But this is not the picture of a man who complains because he's too tired to help with the housework or grocery shopping. This was my issue last week. Confess this to some guys. Christy came to me, sitting on the front porch, uh, winding down at the end of the day, and she says, Hey, uh, can you, do you want to take a look at the shopping list? I'm getting ready to go grocery shopping. And I, I was just tired. No excuse. I looked at her and I said, babe, I just don't want to micromanage that. Now, if you hear the words that came out of my mouth, what does that tell you? I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I think I micromanage everything. I have a God complex. It's an issue. I was overworked. Uh, it's my own problem. But Christy, as gracious as she was, she's like, that's not a big deal. I'll go ahead and go. And the crazy thing is I was sitting down doing the budget and the bills later, and she came and sat right next to me and helped me with those. Like, how convicting is that after she leaves the house? And I'm like, crap. <sighs> Wasn't sacrificially loving my wife. Right? It's a moment for repentance, an opportunity to say, hey, I'm sorry. Um, I need to walk like Jesus. I need, Jesus. I need to apply Jesus' forgiveness once again. The picture that we have in this text is not of a man who complains about those things. It's not the picture of a man who only serves his wife to get something in return. 
The picture of a man in this passage is the picture of Jesus giving himself up sacrificially. That's the picture we get. You see, Jesus loves his bride. He loves his church. His church is his bride. He loves his bride so much that he gave himself up for her through his sacrifice at the cross. Listen, he, he literally was not only ready to die for his bride. He didn't just want to die for his bride. Jesus actually did die for his bride. You see, marriage is not about finding that perfect person who completes our incompleteness. Um, whenever I do premarital counseling, I always ask couples if they've seen that movie, Jerry Maguire. It's one of my favorite movies. You complete me. Right? I just love that movie. And I think I've only had like one or two couples over the years that come back in and kind of get that right. Um, but if you've done your wedding here, you know. I always assign that as homework. The reality is, is that that person sitting across from you that you desire, the person you're dreaming about, the person you made a list about marrying someday, that person will not complete you. If you come to that person trying to find the person that will complete you, um, ultimately it will end in destruction. Marriage is really about finding the person whom you or I can love out of the overflow of our completeness in Christ. Okay? See, if you and I try to find our completeness in our spouses, then we will always be left empty. Always. But if you and I find our completion in the work of Christ at the cross, then what will happen? We will mimic Christ. We'll mimic Him in our marriages as we die to ourselves by loving our wives sacrificially. So husbands, the challenge here and the encouragement here is Love your wives sacrificially. Let me just ask a question. When was the last time you loved your wife so much that it hurt bad? Men. Like it, it, it should hurt. Um, sacrifice requires hurt. Don't just talk about being ready to do this. Don't just talk about wanting to do this. My encouragement to us men is to beg God to help you to do what He has done for you and then go do it. Go and die to yourself for the sake of your wife, just like Jesus died for you. The call of God on a man who is married or a man who wants to be married is a really radical call. It's a really radical call to come and die so that your wife may have the opportunity to flourish and grow. Which leads me to the second way that God calls us to love our wives through the Apostle Paul in this text. Paul says, husbands, you are called to love your wives sanctifyingly. That's not a real word. <laughs> but somebody in the English language always coins a word, and it becomes a real word someday, so maybe this one will. And to be honest with you, I stole a bunch of this from somebody else anyway, so I'm, I'm not really preaching my own sermon, I'm just preaching somebody else's. So if you didn't know that that was true of every preacher every Sunday morning anyways, <laughs> light bulb just went off for you, so it's okay. I did steal that word from somebody else. Um, you're called to love your wives sanctifyingly. See, Paul says that Jesus loved his bride sacrificially, verses 26-27, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, if you stop and you think about what Paul is saying here, there's a weightiness to what Paul is saying. There's a lot of weight here. You might be shocked by the picture you get if you think about it long and hard enough. The key result 
of loving our wives, men, is sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Might be a question some of you might be asking. Uh, sanctification is the process. I like the process of making coffee. Um, you put some grounds in the coffee pot, you run some water through it, some hot water, and it runs through there, and the result is coffee. Sanctification is a process that's similar to that, whereby we become more holy, we become more set apart, we become more different than we used to be. We become something, not just belong. Marriage is about belonging to one another, but it's also about becoming somebody different. Becoming holy, becoming like Jesus. There's so many different ways that you could kind of say this. I hope that it's driving the picture home. Sanctification is about becoming something that you were not previously. And the goal for a husband is to help his wife become more like Jesus. Now let me just say this before I move on. Just a quick thought that comes into my head. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus whereby you are becoming more and more holy and more and more like Jesus, you cannot even have any hope to ever help a wife become like somebody you're not trying to become like. Follow all those? Double negatives and all sorts of things in that long rhetorical sentence. You, you can't give what you don't have. And you, you have to be pursuing Jesus to the extent that you're saying, Jesus, please make me more like you. And then, man, your job is to help sanctify your wife. Come alongside of her. Help her become more like Jesus too. <coughs> you see, the work that Jesus did at the cross for you and for me, that work that Jesus did, that's what makes us clean, right? That's what makes us holy. That's what makes us sanctified. Jesus' broken body, His shed blood, that's what cleanses His bride from all impurity. His death on the cross is what removes our filthy sin stains, right? His sacrifice is what actually irons out all of the wrinkles of sin that once separated us from our Father in heaven. When, when, when Jesus willingly and joyfully gave Himself over, willingly and joyfully gave Himself over to being beaten with a whip, nailed to a cross to die. Our sinful blemishes, all of them, tossed as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, an immeasurable distance. This is the sanctifying work that Jesus at His cross did for us. Men, have you experienced that? Like that's not just something you get in your head from reading a book. That's not just something you get in your head from hearing a sermon. That's something you get in your heart from the experience of knowing Jesus has cleansed me. In this moment, I'm still dirty in so many different ways, but Jesus has made me clean in front of my Father in heaven. So totally clean that now my Father can come out to me and say, Joey, I love you. You're my son. Without that work, our Father could never come close to us that way. And yet in this moment, in this season, I'm still growing. I'm perfect in front of my father. I had that standing. I had that seat, right? But in this moment, I'm still struggling like I did last week when I didn't want to help with a stinking grocery list. And so I'm constantly applying Jesus' work at the cross over me. And at one point, someday, when I walk into heaven, I'm going to be completely perfected, completely holy. For those of you like theology geeks, that's called the three tenses of sanctification. You're completely sanctified, being sanctified, and one day we'll be completely sanctified. It's just like, it's cool to study that stuff. But if you don't move that from here to here, um, you'll constantly be trying to make something happen that cannot happen outside of God's power. See, this is the kind of sanctifying, stain cleansing, sin removing, wrinkle flattening love 
the husbands are called to love their wives with. Husbands do not remove their wives' sin. Don't hear me wrong. We do not remove our wives' sin, but we are called to help our wives look to the only one who does remove their sins. It's not that wives don't help husbands do that too. It's just that in application of this text, that's what Paul's saying. <coughs> We're not called to constantly remind our wives of how dirty they've been. Okay, guys? We're called to remind them of how clean they are in Christ Jesus. We're not, we're not called to hang our wives' lists of sins over their heads. We're called to remind our wives that they are spotless and perfect because of Christ's work at the cross. We're not called to point out how our wives missed the mark every day and didn't get the housework done or whatever it may be. We're called to remind our wives that Jesus hit the mark for them. We're not called to use the wrinkles of our wives' imperfections against them to manipulate them into our own little idols of self-pleasure. We're called to constantly remind our wives that they are daughters of the living God because of Christ's work at the cross. Husbands, listen, we are called to love our wives sanctifyingly. And the only way to do this, really, is to remove ourselves from the equation. Which leads me to the third way that I think Paul calls us to love our wives. I think number three says, Husbands, you are called to love your wives selflessly. We're called to love them sacrificially. called to love our wives sanctifyingly. <coughs> and then lastly, love our wives selflessly. Paul says it this way, verses 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. In the same way as what? In the same way as Jesus, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now at first glance, I think when you look at this passage, it might appear that Paul is arguing for a selfish kind of love, right? Rather than a selfless kind of love. I don't know if you caught it as, you're reading, as I'm reading through that, but it might appear that this doesn't sound like a selfless, but rather a selfish kind of love. After all, he does say that a man who loves his wife actually loves himself, right? Um, is this a selfish love or is it a selfless love? Is Paul contradicting himself here? Is he calling a man to love his wife with the motivation of making things go well for him? Is Paul echoing the famous phrase that married men often say, happy wife equals happy life? <coughs> is that Paul here in this text? Regardless of whether that statement is true, happy wife, happy life, and I've used it too. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here, okay? Um, I, I think to interpret the text this way is a serious misrepresentation of what Paul is saying. Because um, I think it, then it does become more of a selfish kind of a love. I don't think he's instructing us to love our wives so that our lives may go well. Um, if that's your motivation for loving your wife, then it's a selfish love, isn't it? I think what Paul is doing here is I think he's simply using an illustration to prove that loving and caring for your wife is just like loving and caring for your own body. I think that's what he's saying as I read the text and study it. And then what he does at the very end of that is he reminds us that when a man and a woman become married, they actually become one flesh through the bond of sexual intimacy. Now that's a profound mystery that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time 
dealing with, except for there is such a connection that happens between a man and a woman when they are connected sexually that Paul uses it. And even if you throw back to Genesis, you become united like one person. Now, a negative way of coming at all of this would be to say that if you treat your wife hatefully, then it's as though you are abusing yourself. And that'd be a negative way of saying what Paul is saying. <coughs> Does any man in his right mind uh, love to abuse himself? Um, no. No sane man would, would ever enjoy abusing himself. Therefore, no sane man or sane husband should find pleasure in abusing a woman by using her for his own selfish agenda, right? Husbands, we are called to love our wives selflessly, called to nurture and care for her, called to be sensitive to her emotional needs, called to serve her selflessly. Listen to this. We are called to lay down our verbal weapons and pick up washcloths and water basins as we wash our wives' feet selflessly. When you read the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, his bride, says that he wanted to show them the extent of his love for them. And what he did was he took off his outer robe of authority, his rabbi robe, and laid it aside, picked up a water basin and a washcloth, and knelt down in front of them to wash all of the dirty, nasty stuff off their feet. Now, that's a picture of sacrifice and sanctification and selflessness in one picture. Okay? In one picture, you get all three. So much so that even Peter was like, do not wash my feet. What are you doing? And Jesus was like, hey, if you won't take this from me now, you wouldn't take it from me later. Like, you, you need this. I'm going to wash you completely. This is a picture of what it looks like for a man to love his wife in these ways. We need to lay down our verbal weapons and pick up washcloths and water basins and wash our wives' feet selflessly. Think about this too. People back then, when the things that they wore on their feet weren't shoes like we wear now. It was sandals. So you just think about people like walking down the road. Like you, you ride donkeys. You don't ride in a car. Streets weren't clean. Donkey manure all over the place. Like that's what's on their feet. So men, like our job today is to love our wives by getting down in the nitty-gritty and the dirty places of their lives and helping to wash and cleanse, helping to turn their eyes towards Jesus, encouraging them to lay hold of what Jesus has for them. That's the call of a man, called to love our wives selflessly. Now, <coughs> I think I did just give some practical stuff for this, um, but I think the question still remains, and some of you may, may still be asking, like, how? How do I do this, right? But I think it's easy to hear everything that I'm preaching and just feel like, man, I don't do hardly any of that. Or again, some of you might be thinking, well, I did a lot of that this last week. Um, how do you do this? How do you love your wife sacrificially, sanctifyingly, and selflessly? Um, I think there's a lot of ways to try to come at answering this question that might be helpful. A lot of principles all throughout Scripture. We could take a systematic study all throughout Scripture on these three topics, right? Um, selfless, sacrificial kinds of love. But I think the best way to come at it this morning is just to simply say what Paul says here at the end of the text. He says this, This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Just, just let that statement kind of sink in while I take another drink of my tea. And chip my tooth on the edge of the glass. I don't know if anybody else heard that. 
<laughs> How do we love our wives? <clears throat> if you want to grow in your desire and your ability to love your wife, then you have to embrace the mystery of Christ loving you as a member of His church, which is His bride. Now, this is the statement that I think, for me, like captures the entire sermon. The only place that a man can grow in his desire and his ability to love his wife is under the shadow of the bloody cross and in the doorway of the empty tomb. Okay? That's the only place you're going to learn this. I don't care how many books or conferences you've been to or read. I don't care how many ways you've outlined this. At the end of the day, the only place that you or I will ever learn to do this is under the shadow of a bloody cross and in the doorway of an empty tomb because under the shadow of a bloody cross is where you see your Savior doing for you what He called you to do for her. And in the doorway of the empty tomb, that's the place where you are empowered to do what He calls you to do because He's done it for you. I am less concerned, guys, with with giving you practical how-tos on how to love the woman of your dreams. I'm less concerned with that. I'm more concerned with your experience of the mystery of the love of Christ because, listen, when, when you embrace, guys, men, when you embrace the mystery of the love of Christ for you, let me flip it around. When I embrace the mystery of the love of Christ for me, a dirty, empty, rebellious sinner, then from that position as a loved son of God, I am motivated and enabled to actually love my wife. And the reality is this. The reality, getting down to the respect piece, because it's like the only thing that Paul says to a woman at the end is respect your man, right? Reminds me of the old song by Tina Turner. Is that right? Did I get that right? Who? Tanya Turner. Okay, I guess, no, I don't think that's right either. The R-E-S-P-E-C-T song. Somebody will set that straight someday. Um, it's the only place that, the only other thing that he says, right? Respect. Um, here's the deal. I think that a woman who knows and loves Jesus will respect a man who embraces the mystery of the love of Christ. As simple as that. I don't think that there's, I'm not saying I don't think that there's practical ways that a woman can be trained and taught how to respect. I just think in the context of this passage right here, if we just hone, find in, like come in tight on this passage, I think a man who, who loves a woman like Jesus, that woman, if she loves Jesus, will respect that man. I think this is the biblical picture of love and respect in marriage. In conclusion, as I wrap it up, I want to share a story. I did ask permission. I'm not going to give any names. Um, I know when I asked permission, uh, my friends were like, it sounds like the beginning of a Law and Order episode, which I don't watch Law and Order, but it must go something like, the story is true, but the names and the dates have been changed to protect the identities of the innocent. Or maybe it's the guilty. I'm not sure how you say that, but... (sighs) I want to share this story with you because I think, it, I think it, it, it's helpful and it illustrates some of what I've been preaching today. <coughs> I have some friends who both went through the pain and the horror of divorce. Um, both of them were married to other people. Um, her previous marriage uh, was to a really highly insecure young man who used her, abused her for his own selfish gain. And then, uh, and then his marriage, my friend, um, his previous marriage ended after a lot of years of uh, like major conflict, repeated seasons of unfaithfulness from his spouse, um, painful for them, painful to walk through with both of them as a friend too. Um, my two friends met and they began dating 
And at some point, they begin to introduce each other to their parents. You know, some of you might remember that season or walk through that season where you introduce your hopefully significant other to the parents and how scary and unnerving that can be. The interesting part of the story is that when uh, her parents, uh, who were unbelievers, met him, uh, her mom pulled her aside um, and asked her, um, she asked her, she goes, so how does it feel? And the daughter, who was uh, my friend, who was kind of confused at first, um, was like, how, do, how does what feel? Uh, and her mom replied, how does it feel to be loved? In other words, what was happening in these two people's relationship is that the way that this man loves this woman, sacrificially, sanctifyingly, selflessly, it's so obvious that even her unbelieving mother notices it, Right? That's powerful to me. Isn't that, that's really one of the most satisfying results of men who actually love women like Jesus loves them and then women who respect the men who love them that way. Think of the impact that this kind of story, if this was the kind of story that the church could celebrate and share and have, think of the impact that that kind of story can make on an entire family or an entire church family or an entire community. Like the message of the gospel is powerful for salvation and transformation. Our, our calling, our responsibility as a church family is to adorn that message in our relationships. That gospel should be on display. There should be no question in the people's minds that sit south of the tracks here in Hastings and beyond that when they see us in relationship with one another, that we are people who love Jesus and have been transformed by that message. There are many of you I know in this room who have either long desired uh, to be married or have uh, maybe even experienced the pain of a dysfunctional marriage. I just want to challenge you uh, one more time. I want to I invite you to come and embrace the mystery of the cross of Christ. I want, I, want to, I want to call you to come and embrace the, the mystery of the power of the empty tomb that is available to you. This, this is the place where the furious love of Jesus was unleashed on our behalves. Listen to me. If I want you to hear one thing, I want you to hear this. Jesus loves you. It's true. Jesus loves you more than you know. He loves you so much that he went to the cross for you. He was beaten to a bloody pulp. He was wrongfully murdered on your behalf, and he didn't utter a single complaint about it. Even though you and I are completely rebellious, we often make massive messes of our lives, Jesus still died so that you and I could become his wife. Okay? That's the picture all throughout Scripture. And here's the reality. The reality is that Jesus has a really jacked up marriage to a rebellious and sinful bride. That's the reality of the picture. Like if I was going to try to make myself famous, I wouldn't write a story about how crazy my wife is. Okay? God brings glory to himself writing a big story in a book. And my wife is crazy, y'all, okay? Just ask her. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't write a book about how crazy my wife is, though, to make myself famous. That's what God does. The message of the gospel turns everything upside down, okay? 
And my prayer is that he would turn your marriage upside down today. My prayer is that he would turn your life upside down if you're seeking marriage. My prayer is that if you are just wounded and hurt because of a divorce or because you can't find the one that you, you hope would complete you, and I, just, I pray that God would just turn you upside down today with his radical love. Because he is more than willing and more than happy and more than joyful um, to purchase you. He loves you. He loves you sacrificially. He's loved you sanctifyingly. And he's loved you selflessly. And this mystery is profound, as Paul says. It's a profound mystery. And my prayer is that you will embrace that mystery of the furious love of Christ for you today. Can you say amen? Hey, let's pray. Father, um, as we wrap up our time together today, Lord, I pray that you would take this message, this passage, and I pray, God, that you would apply it to our hearts and our lives. I pray, Father, that you would draw our attention, the eyes of our hearts, the ears of our understanding. I pray you would draw um, our attention to the cross of Christ where um, his body was broken and his blood was poured out on our behalf. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.